Welcome to All Things Terror. <laughs> I'm Jennifer. I'm Emily, and this is a podcast where we bring you terrifying true tales from science history, current events, including my life, mostly my life all the time. <laughs> it's just always gross and weird. Uh, so if you listened last week, uh, you learned about the American Witch Trials, and uh, Jennifer said that we are doing a uh, a two-parter, and we definitely are, and I am going to be talking about the European Witch Trials. Um, so that's what I'm going to do. So... I'm going to start with, uh, I guess, I'll just get right into it. Uh, well, I was going to say, just I'm a gonna... quick recap. The American oh, yeah. the American Witch Trials was about, was the story of a slave named Tutuba. And there were trials held in a court and gallows. And some people just stuck in prison. Yep. Um, and it sucked. And it sucked. Uh, yeah, and um, you set me up for a lot of really interesting things, and one of the things that I will say is that if this interests you at all, um, there are so many resources, and um, I, most of what I used as resources came from peer-reviewed, like, historians and stuff, um, but it is almost overwhelming how much is even available online even in terms of primary sources um so if this interests you at all i'm really just scratching the surface and you can get um a lot online um two sources that i used a lot um and i really liked um was i wrote it down and i always have my sources now i can't find it uh one is called uh, European Magic and Witchcraft, A Reader by Martha Rampton. And then another one is called Strange Histories, The Trial of the Pig, The Walking Dead, and Other Matters of Fact from the Medieval and Renaissance World uh, by Darren Oldridge. Uh, and there are other ones as well, but those two were really, uh, if this interests you, I would encourage you to look it up or email me and I may or may not be able to send you a PDF of the entire book. Wink, wink. So, uh, <laughs> my starting point was really hard with this, and I found um, that what started making sense to me was starting with what witchcraft even meant. And um, witchcraft, witches, folklore, local religions, paganism, they all get kind of condensed into witchcraft at one point, but they, they've really always been around. Um there's a Monsters Among Us series that said of witchcraft that um, in ancient Greece and, you know, the Hercules religion type thing, um, Hecate was a titan. And when Zeus killed all the gods or imprisoned them and overthrew them so that he could be in charge, he was like, you know what, Hecate, you're chill. And she got to stick around. Um, and the quote from that was that she they honored her above all. Um and this witch uh, is associated with any time anybody prays for luck or fortune, um, that's who they're praying to. They're doing this little tiny bit of witchcraft. Um, if we think about the Odyssey, did you have to read the Odyssey in high school? Uh, I did not, but I read it in my, God, my freshman classic 
classical studies class. Yeah, I mean, most of us have to read it either. Actually, I got a horrible education, but that is the one thing we had to read the Odyssey uh, in high school. In uh, high school or college, there's Circe, who uh, is a witch who tricks Odysseus and his men. Well, Odysseus stays with her and is like her boo for a while, but she turns all the other men into pigs. Um, and I've always thought that that was what Game of Thrones was referencing with <laughs> their own character named Cersei. Yeah. Uh, but I, I could never quite figure out the analogy other than that maybe she was powerful and we weren't supposed to underestimate her. I don't know. Um, but anyway, my point is that witches and witchcraft have always been around and this idea of it um, as being uh, sort of just feminine and magical is always around. Prince is meowing. I hear do that. Do you disagree? I don't agree with this at all. Well, what do you think about it? I think meow, motherfucker. Meow. He has this, like, the saddest meow. He sounds like he's being tortured, but he's not. He's a fat little white cat with black spots. Um, and now Felix chased him away because they're not friends. All right. So anyway, Christianity comes on the scene. And at the time, it's um, basically competing with Greek religions for popularity, uh, which is really funny. Uh, it's like uh, Monty Python's The Life of Brian. Pretty accurate, actually. Um, there's lots of religions going on. Everyone sort of has their own sect or cult that they follow. And that's just sort of how it is. And Christianity, um, to sort of differentiate itself and compete... Um, it, it really, like, says that any other religions were, like, bullshit. Um, prior to Christianity, um, there was this belief in divination so that normal people could do magic and talk to gods and do little tricks and that that was just part of their religion and that that was cool. Um, and Christianity is like, no, uh, that's wrong. And uh, I think one of the th my most hilarious things I've ever learned came from the Rampton book, the European Magic and Witchcraft Reader. Um, <laughs> here we go. Quote, pagan detractors cast Jesus's miracles as conjuring and cheap stunts, the kind any street magician could pull off. His revivication of Lazarus was equated to the work of the most loathsome necromancers, a type well known in the ancient world. <laughs> well then. Yeah, so anyone, like, you know, these Christians are going around being like, this is the one true God, and they're like, shut up, your magic is hack. Uh, <laughs> but so Christianity really doubles down on this and says, like, no, you know, communing with your God and divining the future and doing magic is wrong. Um, and that's sort of what takes hold. And then, as we all know, Christianity also takes hold, and they sort of propagate those beliefs. Um by the late 1500s, the idea of magic and witchcraft um, is, <laughs> it's kind of funny. It's like, uh, yeah, I give the devil, like I give these imps some cheese and they go bug my neighbors and it's cool. Um, and that's sort of how people think about witchcraft. Like it's around all the time. It's mischievous. It's annoying. Whatever. Um, but it's, it's a it's slight like people, inconvenience. It's a slight inconvenience. Yeah. It's like people hiring little demons to bug other people. <laughs> and then there's like a, a shift. Um, 
that from this sort of like, oh, this is annoying to no, y'all, all this hocus pocus is really the devil exploiting you for your sweet soul. He wants it. Um, and so by 1688, you know, about 200 years later, witchcraft is inextricably linked with demons. So you see the sort of conceptual like movement of how they think about magic. But I think that... Um, In 1688, there were colonies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And... Those ideas made it over the ocean. Yeah. And Christianity, like, also, I think we have to keep in mind that, like, movement didn't really happen as much as it does now. So, like... In 1500, even I would say probably up until like the 1800s, you know, people didn't travel. You didn't go places, you know. Um, So even though Christianity is kind of taking over and becoming more powerful, like there's still rural pockets, especially where people have never heard of Christianity and they're still practicing the religion that they did back when Jesus was still alive and people were making fun of him because his magic wasn't great. Um, like even this, these inroads are really, uh, hard to make. And uh, some source said something about like, anytime, um, a new, like a priest would go somewhere, he, or, uh, you know, someone would open up a territory and the Christians would follow the army and then they would have to learn the customs and the language and they would have to understand what that religion was before they could even begin to tell people about Christianity. So when you think about it, like that's like a lot of work in one village to maybe convert one person. Yeah. Um, so, and also all of this is, why would you follow someone who has weak magic? I mean, <laughs> it's pretty illogical. Um, so, Christianity is in com- competition with these local religions. Um, and and eventually, even at the time of witch trials and in the 1688, it becomes witchcraft, a big word, becomes three separate things. One, witchcraft, which is like that, yeah, I give demons cheese, I, I pay them to bug people. It's pesky, it's mischievous, maybe. It's a mouse it's in your really... house. <laughs> Yeah, it's a mouse in my house. Uh, um, <laughs> there's maleficium, and this is where we start getting into like familiars, imps, demons. This is bad. This is like um, these are malicious and evil, quote unquote. And this is probably a little bit more like what we're familiar with when we think of witch trials and what witches are accused of. Um, but then there's the third thing, which is that witches also became this secret cult of devil worshippers, which <laughs> fucking people are still worried about. <laughs> yep. It's a secret cult where people ride brooms, get together, and fuck each other. And if that doesn't sound like the satanic panic, I don't know what does. Yeah, if you're listening to this and you're one of those people that believe that, that laugh that I made, I was laughing <laughs> at you. It's and so the other thing that's really interesting, or even like Pizzagate or whatever weird conspiracies are out there, um, this last bit, this idea of like a secret cult, um, Aldridge compares it, well, Aldridge is not the only one, lots of, I saw a couple authors, and it is a good analogy, um, 
they compared it to terrorism. It was like, these are beliefs and actions that are going to tear down our way of life as we know it, and we have to take any means necessary to stop it. Like, they might do one act of harm, but they're going to inspire all this fear. Like, it is a really good analogy to how we think about terrorism today. Actually, yeah, that seems Um, pretty accurate. Yeah, and Aldridge has this quote. He says, quote, but the persecution of witches would probably have been less severe had not educated people come to believe in the existence of an organized witch cult. So that end witch cult is very, uh, very important. Um, it's what did everybody thing, in. Guess, it is what did everyone in. And so the other thing that I um, I learned about in college um, is the idea of a Manichaean world, too. Um, and y- this is also a good phrase for thinking about satanic panic, I think, because a Manichaean world believes that like good and evil aren't metaphors they're real things so like when we say demons are fighting you know for control of people's souls that means like concrete demons it's not a metaphor um it's not like a conceptual demon it's like a real demon um and this is what people believed in you know this witchcraft was real to them um and so uh it was just sort of what category it fell in and, and how you should respond to it. Um, so this is sort of the world around all of these things. And then like you noted, uh, there are other things that kind of trigger, someone used the word trigger, not cause, but trigger these big reactions. And one of them is that in this world where you have Christianity and it's competing with local religions, you eventually get zealots. And these guys have a lot of impact, and so I'm just going to run through some of them quickly. Um, in 1486, Heinrich Kramer, Kramer writes the uh, Malleus Maleficarium, which is super famous. It's translated as the Hammer of the Witches, which is fucking cool and should be the name of a metal album. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, Hammer of the Witches. Uh this book is not endorsed by the Catholic church. And I think that's really interesting because we tend to think of the church as the one propagating this, but in a lot of cases, the church was sort of like, nah, we're not taking that strong of a stance on this. Um, but anyway, so the, the church has not endorsed this. Um, Kramer's coming out of Germany, which is a real hotbed of witches. If you didn't know, <laughs> holy moly. Um, he says that like the, witches are illegal um and so here's some like theological ramblings my own special thoughts on why they're so bad and we should torture them and the church is like no no we're not going to torture um but this idea takes off and and honestly it was probably just an exciting book to read so i can see why it is i mean there's not Um, a whole lot of anything else to do Right, <laughs> exactly. I mean, besides having your teeth um, out for a little bit. Yes. And your nose from syphilis. Yes, and your nose. Uh, Let's not forget. Also, <laughs> yeah, also, interestingly, just as a little zesty aside, um, apparently he wrote this book after um, a local bishop kicked him out of Innsbruck um, because he was basically being accused of being a sexual harasser um and this one woman who was accused as being a witch um 
Kramer got, like, really, really into, like, her sex life and what she did, and all the other people were like, yeah, we're gonna call this trial over, and you get out because you're being creepy. Fair enough. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, so, like, this guy is, you know, consider the well from which you draw water. Um, This is also a good point where he really drives home this idea that, like, between heretics and heathens, and, like, heathens have not heard the word of God. Or they haven't heard about Jesus. So, bummer. But heretics are people who've heard about Jesus and they're like, nah, I'm not into that. And heretics are, of course, worse. Um, And Kramer is really hammering home that we should just kill them all. So, chill dude. Cool, 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 cool. Uh-huh. Yep, cool, 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 cool. Um, In uh, 1490... Well, probably older than that. Uh, probably closer to like 1500. Um, there's a guy named Olius Magnus. He writes a history of Europe book, and much like our episode um, on werewolves, where I said there's like a lot of travel writers who just write about a place that they haven't been to. Uh, he did that about uh, like Scandinavia, and he's like, listen, they have some indigenous people there, the Sami, and uh, they're super good at magic. And the Sammy are like, what the fuck, dude? Um, and he's never been there, and it causes a whole big thing. Scandinavia has a really, really weird and fucked up uh, which history, which I'm not going to get into too much. But the dollop has uh, a good episode called The Witches of Finnmark, um, if you would like to learn more about that. Um, also, any of these guys would be worth googling if if it interests you uh 1644 we get another super famous guy um matthew hopkins who's in england he is another guy that just sounds so cool and like you want to hang out with him uh for example he gives himself the title witch finder general (laughs) no no the way that i said he gives it to himself there's no parliamentary or government or official. There's nothing. There's no sanction. There's no office. He just calls himself that. Oh, that's so, so like, good. <laughs> I mean, if ever, if you're ever like, man, you know, the what are those incels are so terrible. And, uh, you know, they're a scourge on our modern era and everything's going to hell in a handbasket. Matthew Hopkins was the incel of 1644. I mean, this guy just fucking sucked. Dude, just never um, underestimate the creativity of a bored, lonely, white dude living in 16-something. <laughs> in any era, really. I guess so. I mean, th- this guy just fucking, he sucks so bad. Anyway, um, so he writes The Discovery of Witches, also another really famous one, um, which outlines a a couple things one torture two capital punishment killing witches and three um this form of questioning where you kind of lead um the witness all three of these things were illegal in england and most of europe at the time um and so i think it's really important to to really establish that that the witch trials did things that were illegal and considered wrong but people had convinced everyone that witchcraft was such a huge threat that they suspended these things. And I'll come back to this a little bit more later. But also, if that sounds like torture and what's going on in Guantanamo Bay, 
you're correct. Um, so, uh, within a year and a half, uh, he and his followers were responsible for about 300 executions, uh, in England and for 300 years. So he's in the middle of this 1644, um, there are only 500 executions for witchcraft total. So him and his followers in a year, like more than double the amount of executions. And then that number doesn't get any bigger. So like I said, this guy really sucks. Um, also, if you just need a little bit more evidence that this guy is a dick, um, quote, many opposed Hopkins methods and the discovery of witches is a response to those critics. The book is organized around quote-unquote queries, objections others have made to Hopkins, and quote, answers, Hopkins' defense of his practices. He refers to himself in the third person, or as Witchfinder, the Discoverer, or Witch Catcher. <laughs> uh, fuck this guy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, someone needs to jump up their own asshole, and that's this guy. Um, so... Again, Christianity is in flux. Everything's crazy. People are, it's just, it's bonkers. Um, and uh, I've given you some shitty examples of really extreme zealots, but now I'm going to give you an example of uh, just the fucking coolest guy ever. Uh, his name is Minocchio. <laughs> That's a great name. It's a great name. Uh, he's a heretic who keeps getting arrested. He's causing mischief. He's alive from 1532 to 1599. And here's some things that he got in trouble for. One, he was like, don't say masses for the dead. They're fucking dead. Help the living. Uh, okay. Like, let's do... Yeah, okay. The other one uh, that he got in a bunch of trouble for was that the only sin was to harm one's neighbor and that if you're going to blaspheme or swear, doesn't doesn't matter. Nobody cares. I mean, fair enough. Yep. Here's another one. Uh, Jesus was born just like a regular dude, and Mary was not a virgin. <laughs> that is uh, definitely contentious. I mean, if he had just been born in a different century, he could have written a book about it and got famous, become a yeah, become a bestseller, and had Tom Hanks play him in a movie. <laughs> uh, the Pope had no power from God, but was just, like, promoted because he was supposed to be a good dude. Okay. I mean, this guy's getting wild. Um, right. Here's a, here's a quote. Uh, I believe that the law and commandments of the church are all a matter of business, and they make their living from this. Okay. <laughs> I mean, don't you love him? I, uh, Minocchio. Yeah, I'm... When are we inviting him over? I know. Uh, he's our season four hero. Uh, here's his, his quote about marriage. Quote, God did not establish it. Men did. Formerly, a man and a woman would exchange vows, and this sufficed. Later, these human inventions followed. <laughs> and now, here is the part where you really know that he is our personal uh, guardian angel of this podcast. Here is a quote. All was chaos, that is, earth, air, water, and fire were mixed together, and of that bulk, a mass formed, just as cheese is made out of milk. Oh my god. And, wor and worms appeared in it, and these were the angels. Where has he been our, li our whole life? Like... 
Yep. The, uh, there's a, like, I guess in history circles, there's a really famous book about him, and it's called Of Cheese and Worms. I love it. That's such a great yeah. title. <laughs> <laughs> so, we came in with this season with Cheese and Worms, and we're gonna go out the same. <laughs> So, I mean, basically in this period, everybody's just essentially writing Bible fanfics. You know, they're just doing what they want to do. And I mean, you know what? Cool. And I'm sure the Catholic Church loves that. They're like, God damn it. I mean, I don't know. Sometimes the Catholic Church and all this, they're like, dude, we don't give a shit. Do whatever you want. And sometimes they're like, no, you must do what we want. Uh, And so if anything else, I think this episode has i've been taught to think of the catholic church as like this big bad power hungry like rich entity and that's true they did do that for a lot of like early european history but in some of this research they just seem like yeah you know what we don't care stop stop being weird um so give them some credit on that i guess um but anyway so so people are always writing bible fanfics that's still happening today Zealots always exist. That's still happening today. So, so like, why did this take off? Um, and kind of like what you pointed out in your episode, there's a lot, a lot of turmoil, and it was shitty to be alive. Uh, Shocking. And that's where we, I'm so shocked. Yeah. That's where we start to see, like, all this sort of, like, religious background, these educated zealots who are writing fucked up books that people like to read. Um, this sort of competition with Christianity. And then we get to the 1300s and it's just turmoil. Um, There's a hundred years war, the plague killing a third of the population, which peaked in 1666. Um, Which if you recall, we talked about. Mm -hmm. Uh, 1666 was a really big shitty year for Europe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, in the 1300s, the Crusades had just failed and everybody's super bummed because they're like, we're number one. And then they're like, oh man, no, we're not. Damn. Um, yeah. And so the church was powerful. And at this point it, it's really weak, um, because a lot of people had died. Um, and it was also really, really corrupt. Um, and it was just a known fact, like, all of the people in the church are not in it for God. They're in it for money. Um, at one point, there's three different popes, and that's like a whole thing. Um, there's also a change in the economy, especially in Germany around the 1300s, where serfs are not essentially slave-ish tied to the Lord and the land. Um, they become more like contract laborers. They have more freedom. Um the seat of wealth starts to shift to cities, um, and that's also kind of causing an upheaval and, and shifting that. Um, the Renaissance runs through. So there's, and and also think about like 1517 is the Protestant Reformation, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what we did learn about in school. So the 1300s and 1500s are just like, nothing is stable. Um, there's also- Nothing uh, is stable and nothing is sacred. Yeah, exactly. Um, And so people are really looking for something to hang on to, something to follow, someone to follow, um, which is how cults proliferate. Um, But it's also like you can imagine how people would want something like that. 
And then, um, I think it's a lot of times when you get into the, um, actual witch trials, which we're about to get into a bit, um, it's, it's like all of society is in this. And then there's often like another structural upheaval. So almost all of these like spikes in witch trials and panics happen right after like a really bad year, a really bad harvest. It's sort of like the straw that breaks the camel's back and people are just like, I have got to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, and Aldridge also makes a really good point that I like, um, that a lot of people weren't being evil or petty. Um, I think we tend to understand witch trials through Arthur Miller's play, The Crucible, where it's all about like, power and petty revenge and people being shitty um but it it really wasn't about that like most people genuinely thought that they were doing good things and important things um and a lot of people even increase mather who ends up being a big guy in the salem witch trials didn't think that torture or extreme treatment of witches was okay but they did agree that there were witches and witchcraft and that was bad Um, and so if you think that there's witches and witchcraft and that's bad, but you shouldn't torture them, the tipping point sort of becomes, nope, it's bad enough. We should torture them. Um, so it's not such a huge leap really, um, which kind of makes it more terrifying. Um, there's also a really interesting point Aldridge makes, um, that says that's sort of about the placebo effect. Like, He says, if you believed in curses and you also believed that someone was cursing you to starve, then you could convince yourself to, like, lose your appetite. Um, I'm going to read this long quote because I just love it. Um, Quote, anthropological studies from magic-believing cultures have shown that cursing can produce traumatic physical effects. People have been killed by voodoo in Haiti. Incidents of this kind are associated mainly with non-industrial cultures, but it is worth noting that medical studies provide evidence for psychosocial illnesses in developed societies. For example, there is a unique tendency in China and Japan for deaths from heart failure to peak on the fourth day of each month. The most probable cause is that Chinese and Japanese people regard the number four as unlucky. More positively, numerous studies have demonstrated the power of the placebo effect in Western medicine. Patients offered fake medicine will sometimes recover from illness, and their progress can be measured empirically in improved immune responses. The key factor appears to be belief. If a person accepts that something can affect their well-being and others around them sanction this idea, their health may well change as a consequence of this belief. Which is just to say Uh, the body is crazy. It is. Well, and I think, I guess I didn't really realize it until just now when I'm like telling you this, but like, I think uh, my own argument with this episode is that we tend to think of the witch trials as like, wow, those people were dumb and crazy. um, And like, mass hysteria and we can't wrap our minds around it but in reality like they were put under an insane amount of stress like just a level of trauma in their day-to-day life that i think is inconceivable for most people um they they had beliefs strong beliefs in things that were real they wanted to do good and they, they thought they were, you know, and these things like believing in witchcraft, believing that someone was cursing you. I mean, 
the point of that quote is like you could still have that happen today like i guarantee we've all been under the placebo effect or even like when you're a teenager and you're like hey so and so has a crush on you and you're like oh really and then you're like wait maybe i have a crush on them too like you convince yourself that you <laughs> like them because they you know like it's just uh i mean that happens to me all the time yeah, I know. It's people are always like so. Emily, so and so likes you, likes you, um, and you're like, oh, I, oh, well, hmm. well, hmm, feelings, yeah. um, feelings, yeah. So I guess to me, I just like the idea of the witch trials being so far away and distant is true, but also like it's really right next door as well. Um, also, one of the things that I learned that was really interesting um, was that most of the momentum and most of the extremism in the European witch trials came from well-educated people. Um, partly this is that, you know, if you're like, yeah, witches exist, whatever. Um, but then if you're able to read, which was a luxury, you might read one of those books that's like from one of those, you know, medieval incels being like, you gotta kill them, chop off their heads. And so, um, also give me again, sex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it is, again, I, I think it's really important, like very well-educated people were the ones at the front of this banner. It was not out of ignorance. It was out of people really genuinely thinking they were doing the good, right, well-educated thing to do. Um, they were just wrong uh, and stupid at the same time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think it is. Um, I mean, my little mic drop is that, you know, no matter, I think every one of us has some crime or some person or some belief that we're like, no, don't even give them a trial, just chop their heads off. I, I, we all feel that way about something. Um, and I think it's human to feel that way, but it's best to recognize that this is what these well-educated, well-meaning people thought, and it caused them to do horrible things. So even no matter how much your feelings are telling you to act inhumanely, you should not do that. It sucks. Anyway, uh, so what was the result of all this stuff? Um, so Rampton, who wrote the reader, says that in about 200 years, from 1450 to 1650, um, between 80,000 and 100,000 people were executed for witchcraft. That's a fuck ton of people. Um, but the Around 20 in Salem. Yeah. <laughs> Just want to um, remind everyone. Yeah. And there, there's a lot of controversy in that number um, because, you know, like people who were agnostic, who were just like, yeah, I don't really care about God. Um, they might have been executed or prosecuted. Are they included? At, you know, do you put them in that number? Um, or what about people who died while they were in jail or who were lynched? Um it seems that 40,000 to 60,000 gets agreed on a lot. Um, it's almost certainly under 100,000. Uh, until about the 70s, I saw one source said um, numbers were put as high as a million. Um, but that's been kind of debunked a little bit. So I would say it generally tops out at 100,000 people. Um, 40,000 is the bottom. Um in some cases, there are really good records of witch trials. Um, like, you can find primary sources 
on all of them super easy. Um, and so I think the, the difficulty in numbers really shows like how widespread this was Mm -hmm. that I, I'm going to run through some of like the big ones. Um, but it was all over, um, Regardless of how many people died, there's a period in the middle where it really peaks, uh, which is about 1580 to 1630. Um, And again, this is after generations of upheaval, trauma, war, the Protestant Reformation, tons of stuff. 1580 to 1630 is the peak. I I saw it in so many sources that that's like the 50 years where this really crests. Um, Salem was 1692, so that was a little late, um, but you know, we were a whole ocean away. Um, so what I'm going to do is sort of, uh, run through some of the really big ones and then, uh, talk about one in particular. Uh, and, and that's, that's the European witch trials, my friends. Sounds good. Um, 1549 is the Scottish witch trials. Uh, 400 people are killed. This is where they have the very famous water test, uh, which is like if you they throw you in water and you float, you're a witch. And if you sink, well, you're not a witch, but you go to heaven. Good job. Um, if you go to Edinburgh, there is a castle in the middle of the city that uh, Hogwarts, the design of Hogwarts, was actually based on. It's beautiful. It like rises out of this city. And then there's like this big slope and at the bottom of the slope, there's like this really beautiful green lush park all the way around the castle. Well, that beautiful park was at one point a moat and all the city's waste would drain down into that water. And that's also where all these 400 people were thrown into. And so when I was in Edinburgh, they're like, yeah, all the grass is so green because it's you know, feeding off the nutrients of these dead witches, um, which is really gruesome. Uh, There's another one in Scotland, North Berwick in 1590. uh, And this is where 70 people were killed. Um, The poison book that we're always talking about um, is, has a really good account of this and talks a lot about how King James, the first of England who came over after uh, Queen Elizabeth, he fucking hated witches and was really into, like, not liking them and wrote a book about it and stuff. Um, And that book talks a lot about that, if that interests anybody. Um, There's Basque Witch Trials from 1609 to 1611, which is sort of the last little cough of the Spanish Inquisition. Um, The Basque are a people on the border between France and Spain. And I actually grew up in an area with a lot of Basque people, um, which is just a weird little aside. Um, but the Basque language is utterly unique. Uh, linguists have not been able to make connections between Basque and any other language on earth, which is interesting. Um, anyway, there are 7,000 people investigated, but only six are killed, which is pretty cool. Um, we do have the late ones again, 1692 in Salem, 1675 is the Swedish Torsaker witch trials. Um, 71 people in one day are beheaded and burned. Jesus. Yeah. And be- being beheaded and burned is really like ooh, gruesome and makes us think like bloody terribleness. But in reality, and again, I, I want to bring this up, like there were reasons why people did it and it was logical. Like these people were not dumb. Um, beheading was considered a more merciful death than hanging. 
it's faster, I guess. Um, and then they burn the bodies because they thought witches could come back from the dead. So, I mean, that's not great, but it's not like they were being bloodthirsty just for the sake of being bloodthirsty. Uh, I don't know why I feel this, like, urge to defend people from the 1600s, but here we go. Because they're not Victorians. Um, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, because... If we could only go back and help them, they could not be Victorians. <laughs> um, but the peak of this peak um, is in Germany. Um, and there are four towns and four that have these big trials that sort of get cited a lot. And that's Trier, Fulda, Bamberg, and Würzburg. Um, the Trier witch trials are from 1581 to 1593. Uh, 368 people in the city are executed. That number could be closer to a thousand, uh, if you include sort of like the suburbs and the surrounding areas. Um, in Fulda, this happens in 1603 to 06, just three years, 250 people are killed. Christ. Yeah, it's it's intense. Um, Bamberg has is from 1626 to 1631. And around 200 people are killed. Uh, by 1680, uh, that would be a thousand people in the overall area. Uh, and it, this Bamberg and Würzburg are were prince bishoprics, which is, is like saying a state, but instead of a governor, you have a prince bishop as the head. Um, Würzburg happened around the same time, and there are 157 confirmed burned at the stake. Um, but somewhere around 900 to 1200 overall is what's considered. Mm. Um, and these are the ones that I'm going to kind of look at a little bit closer because again, Germany is, is the hotbed of witches, which I did not think of. I tended to associate it with England for some reason. Um, Bamberg and Würzburg are also their neighboring cities. It seems like I heard them described as being only a few miles away um, so I'm thinking they're kind of like Minneapolis, St. Paul or Champaign-Urbana or something, right? Like they're two cities, but they're really one city. Um, it also, interestingly, uh, the prince bishoprics of these areas at the moment are cousins. So there you go. Um, of course they are. I mean. Yeah, so... <clears throat> these two cities really just kind of illustrate how all of these factors sort of came together to to get a little out of hand. Um, in the 1620s, uh, 16, yeah, 1620s, Germany is really having a time. Um, there was a 30 years war that had gone on that had just ended. Um, and this quote from uh, a Rapley book, which uh, let me read the title of that, because again, if you like this sort of work this was a an interesting one uh it's called witch hunts from salem to guatanamo bay by robert rapley um scroll up in my notes do, do, do. so uh this quote says so the 30 years war ended quote with armies and rogue soldiers ravaging towns and countrysides end quote um so everything's an upheaval, you know, pillaging, raping, soldiering all over the place. There's also an economic slump and the beginning of the plague, which you cannot 
really estimate how big of a scary time that was. Like, the plague peaked in 1666, but it was rolling in the 1620s. And, like, um, I mean, if you survived through the Black Plague, you would really just assume that the world was ending because so many people were dying. And it's not like they had the internet and they could check on what was going on, you know. Your whole village might be wiped out, and you would just assume that that's what was happening everywhere. Um, Rapley has, again, this really great quote. Um, it was a terrible time through which to live. This was a society being pummeled into a state of intense fear. So, uh, just to recap, here's how it worked in all these towns all over Europe. Um, but first, there's this existing tension between witchcraft and Christianity. Um, and this had happened. Like, this area had had witch trials on a really smaller scale in the 16-teens before the war got underway. So there's this idea that this tension is already happening. Um, then we're going to have some sort of catalyst to these already stressed out people. Um, and they've had, at this time, a couple bad years, weather crop-wise. And then this late frost comes along in May and people just fucking break. Um, there are quotes from witches who quote-unquote confess um and they're like yeah i sent a frost to kill the grapes yeah i sent a frost to kill this stuff um so that this is sort of seems to be like the uh the trigger um in bamberg and Würzburg. um the other circumstances that um a the uh pig book <laughs> uh what was that guy's name i feel so bad calling it the pig book because it's such a good book oldridge Aldrich says, so other circumstances um, that needed to kind of be present or that seemed to be present for uh, witch trials, one, it's often small communities where people are interdependent on one another. Um, so that closeness is important, right? Because if someone is hurting the community, then all the community sort of reacts. Um, and then the illness or misfortune usually that triggers a witch hunt, it appears particularly strange and there's a scapegoat who didn't like the victim. Um, and if we think about even like in Salem, right, um, kids having fits happens, but there's something about this fit that seems a little weird, extra weird for whatever reason. Um, okay, so an accusation gets rolling in Bamberg, Wurzburg, what happens particularly is that it gets really enthusiastic support from on high. Um, these cousins were known to be reformers who wanted to clean up the Catholic church. So this is not necessarily a bad thing, right? Like I said, at the time, priests are pretty well known to be lazy and corrupt. And so these guys were sort of thought to be, I want to be a reformer. I want to be a progressive guy and, and get, get the church back where it should be. Right. We want to get shit done, motherfuckers. Exactly. And so, they, you know, they were enthusiastic about this. Um, so you're accused, you're questioned, and this is how this works out. And this is the type of questioning um, that was often illegal um, and that got suspended because people are like, oh my gosh, witchcraft is such a serious crime. The way that it happens is they ask you a question, and if you give a quote-unquote wrong answer, you get tortured. And how do they know what the answers are? Well, they have the books like the Malleus Maleficarium and a discovery of witches that tell people what witches do. And so that's how they have the quote unquote right answers. So they know all about what you do, which 
Um, you're always killing babies. And a side note, why is it always killing babies? I like know. I don't you I I don't know either, but even into like the satanic panic, it's killing babies. I'm like, what? Um witches get together to party on the Sabbath. Um, you know, they have the the big book of that's they're all getting together to party. Um quote, promiscuous dancing and feasting on disgusting food, end quote, which frankly sounds like a great time. Uh, <laughs> they're always flying on beasts. Uh, lots of sex, incest, Satan appearing as a man and then a goat and then exploding into flames as a finale, which, to be honest, would be awesome. And, you know, if you're going to promise me that kind of show at your church, I'm much more likely to show up. Um, so this is all the kinds of stuff that the witches got up to. Um, it's it's a little bit more uh, party sexy than the Puritans in America. That was more like... Yeah, I was going to say, this sounds like a good time. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's pretty great. Um, yeah, so, you know, Puritans can't even get witchcraft right. Uh, so They're black like said, dogs, red cats, yellow birds, sticks. Yeah, <laughs> and like sticks, yeah, and like in uh they talk about this in the the dollop episode a lot but um yeah this time it would be like yeah the devil turned me into a bat and i flew to sabbath where they're like a bunch of witches and we were all like changing into animals all night and then satan was like here drink some blood that tasted delicious and then we all got naked and fucked and it was great like so they party hard uh those european (laughs) witches um so there's a a contemporaneous book by roger hart and it has questions like how long have you been a witch when did you become a witch how did you become a witch and what happened on that occasion whom did you choose to become your incubus what demons and other humans took part in the sabbath what food did you eat there so you can see that these are leading questions right and the way that it would work is that they would say okay jennifer how long have you been a witch my whole life like I'm not a witch. <laughs> and they have like a quote, I don't know, something like the boots. And the boots are like a like think of like a vice, you know, how that's like essentially two pieces of wood and you tighten it. Mm-hmm. So the boots is they put your foot in a contraption like that and they tighten it and then, you know, I say, "Jennifer, when did why did you become a witch?" And you're like, "I'm not a witch." And I'm like, "That's the wrong answer." And then I just hit the side of your foot in the boot and tighten it um and tighten it and it so as it's tightening it's cutting the blood off it's you know crushing your muscles and your bones and then i'm hitting it which is going to hurt really fucking bad every time you give me a in air quotes wrong answer um so as you can imagine uh there's a lot of incentive for you to just tell me what i want to hear right Right. So, um, the, uh, I wrote the title on the side, Rampton, not the author's name. And now I want to say the author's name, not the title. Um, the Rampton book points out that the way that witch trials worked was in four principles. One is you have these witch hunting manuals that our, uh, medieval incels wrote. Two is that torture is being allowed. Um, Three, there is the leading questions. And then there's also this other part that, again, is like was given a side eye even at the time. 
And that was the idea of name and names. So if you are accused and you go through all these things and you go through all these torture, um, the other part of your trial would be, tell us who else is a witch. Tell us who else is a witch. You have to name names, which people would do because they were being tortured. Um, and in Würzburg-Bamberg, it gets particularly extreme and wild um, in two ways. One, um, prominent people were being accused by mere peasants. And normally when that happened, then the witch hunt kind of died down because they're like, well, surely that person is not a, uh, a witch. Uh, but in Bamberg-Würzburg, they were like, all right, get them. Um, and then two, they accused a lot of kids, which is what the fuck? <laughs> like, oh yeah, Jimmy down the street, you know, who can't quite read yet. He's definitely a witch. Um, and so like kids as young as like eight and 11 were considered witches and executed. Um, the other thing that I saw in one place uh, was that the prince bishopric uh, would get money for confessions. So there is possibly some idea that uh, if money is involved, maybe that is what happened. Um, there is a, a like educated guy around the time called Spre Frederick Spee who was around for this and wrote a book... Um, I can't remember the name of it. I should Google this really quick and see if I can find it. Um, I think it's called like Concerning Witches or something. Frederick Spee. Uh, uh, uh. He's another hero. He saw this and wrote um, a really skeptical book and was just like, this is some straight up bullshit. Uh, his book is called Cautio Criminalis. Um, which is like, beware of this criminal thing. Um, but he just said, you know what, seeing this stuff and this torture, um, it's unreliable, it's cruel, it's not necessary. He has a quote, torture has the power to create witches where none exists. Nice. Um, yeah, and he traveled around a lot and just is like, I don't like any of this. This is dumb. Um, and he really like... So again, if you think that this is like no one was thinking these things, he did. Um, and honestly, this is a, becomes a real theme. Um, and one uh, one of my sources, the uh, Rampton book, she says like it's kind of a mystery why the trials died down. Um, there's no real catalyst for it, but in reality, they were kind of a success of their undoing. Um, there's a lot of skepticism about the trial process. Um, the intellectuals who maybe went along with it at first started to say, you know what, I still think that witches exist. I still think that they present a hazard, but we can't get good evidence. Um, and we also shouldn't torture. Um, and so there, there became a lot more uh, reform and laws being written that you needed more than just a devil's mark um, or an accusation to begin a trial. Um, Rampton points out that, like, honestly, people's beliefs really didn't change very much until the modern era. Um, it's just that this idea of we shouldn't be inhumane, we shouldn't suspend um, legal protections, um, that that actually overcame. So that's really interesting. Um, 
Another thing that they allowed during witch trials that they norm that was normally illegal was child testimony. And so um I think there's an interesting argument there certainly about this idea that um again, you may believe that a crime is heinous, but you shouldn't let the legal or emotional response be to to sink to that level of heinousness. Um and there is a really good closing line from old Oldridge. I always want to say Oldstein, Oldridge that <laughs> I want to read off. Um, quote: There are many reasons why irrationality and deliberate injustice dominate popular depictions of witch trials. Partly, these explanations are a way of dealing with the historical strangeness. They also provide attractively simple explanations for complex and variegated events. But perhaps the most important reason is this. By attributing the prosecutions either to unreason or malice, these interpretations are comforting. They protect us from the more alarming possibility that rational and good people can do terrible things. But this prospect has to be faced. Indeed, the evidence of the trials demands it. Those involved in the arraignment of witches normally believed sincerely that they were doing good. Moreover, this belief was usually reasonable and entirely consistent with their knowledge of the world. End quote sobering sobering conclusion <laughs> and if you are sitting there thinking wow that could be me on either side i would also like to bring up a very nice little bit that said um an estimated 75 to 80 percent 85 percent of those accused uh were women and there's a lot of evidence of misogyny <laughs> there is a quote from one um it is not unreasonable that this scum of humanity, meaning witches, um, should be drawn chiefly from the feminine sex. Um, that's from 1595. There's another one, quote, the devil uses them so because he knows that women love carnal pleasures and he means to bind them to his allegiance by such agreeable provocations. Um, and there's a, a scholar from 1948 that calls the witch trials, quote, a war against old women. Um, so I just want to point out that um, a lot of us think, oh, gosh, you know, um, I really don't want to do bad things. Um, but, it, you know, Jennifer, you and I are white people. We are middle class people we're theoretically in a position to be the person who says uh which i have this goal yeah witches i have this goal and you know whatever political cause is good and it needs to be accomplished and anyone who stands in my way is evil and they deserve what gets coming to them um and that is a way that you slip into you know justifying bad things happening to people that you don't like um and I think we all need to be on guard and aware and not be a Minocchio and was it Frederick's Friedrich's yeah Frederick Frederick's Spee or Minocchio Minocchio who's like bitch get off my junk uh <laughs> don't say masses for the dead they're fucking dead help the living and uh Fred Fred Friedrich Spee who's like man don't torture people this is dumb as hell, y'all. This is dumb as hell, y'all. <laughs> There's no other better closing line. <laughs> so, uh, 
This is dumb as hell, y'all. Goodbye forever. Goodbye forever. All Things Terror is written, recorded, and produced by two amateurs, Jennifer and Emily. Our sound editor is Clint. Intro music is by Cosimo Fogg. Come chat with us on Twitter at All Things Terror or Instagram at All Things Terror Podcast. Ask nicely and we'll probably send you a really cute sticker. If you like this podcast, tell a friend or write a review. It really helps us and helps more people find us. Goodbye forever. So, one of the reasons I was groaning earlier, Jennifer, is because you're old. That belch is for you, Clint. It's been a while since I gave you one on air. Um, <laughs> he's going to leave that in. I know he's going to leave that in. Um, no, so normally when I, when you are telling me a story, I sit on my couch. When I tell you a story, I like to sit on the floor and put my computer uh, like on my coffee table so it's right in front of me and I can look at my notes but um, I got a little grossed out about being on my floor because last night um, I'm reading and Felix my dog and Rue my cat are over in the corner hanging out they're friends now um, so they're joining up against me and Felix made this like sound and I just went Felix like because I thought he was fussing at the cat and I was like go to bed you know bad dog and James my boyfriend Clint's friend uh if you don't know why I have to call him Clint's friend go and listen to the episode I recorded with Clint um but James looks up and goes oh my god there's a mouse and there's a mouse and Felix was snarling at it and so (laughs) I you know intellectually I'm like mice they're cute they're small um that you don't want them in your house because they'll eat. Um, But the visceral reaction to a mouse was to immediately freak the fuck out. (laughs) Um, And so the mouse is running. Rue is chasing the mouse. I am, my toes are like curling up because somehow there's like this fear deep within me that the mouse is going to run over my toes and then I don't know, they're going to fall off. At one point, I was literally standing on top of the ottoman and dancing like a cartoon from Looney Tunes. Like, I was just like, ew, ew, get the mouse. Um, And at one point, and so James goes to get a broom, and the mouse is, like, in this corner, and it's just hiding there. And Rue, my cat, I, like, pick her up, and I'm like, get it. And she walks away. And I'm like, no. And I pick her up, I'm like, get it. I had to do it three times before she saw the mouse. Then she does catch it, gets it in her mouth. And I'm like, oh, thank God she's got it. She puts it down. It ain't dead. Picks it back up in her mouth again. And I'm just like, oh, God. I'm like screaming, Rue, kill it. Our door is open the whole this whole time. James is trying to, like, pick up Rue and put her outside. And she, like, refuses to go outside. Comes back in, drops the mouse, 
runs under this big old chair that I have, like a leather ottoman that's a rocking chair, and I love it, and I've had it, like, all my life. I flip the chair over, the mouse is gone. We look under the bookcase nearby, the mouse is gone. And I'm like, okay, I saw it go under here, right? And he's like, yeah, me too. And this is right by the door, so we're like, okay, the mouse must have, like, got outside. Thank God. I have shoes on at this point, and I'm like, I'm going to leave these shoes on all night. Like, the terror that, like, gripped me. And then I just kept being like, I don't get it. Like, but something visceral in me is like, no, mice. So put shoes on, watching TV. You know, I'm relaxing. I can take the shoes off again because you know me. I don't like my feet to get hot. (laughs) (laughs) Just as I'm like calming down finally after like an hour, uh, Felix and Sushi this time I look out of the corner of my eye and I go, oh my God, the mouse is back. And this time Felix, the dog and Sushi, my other cat, like Felix nibbles at, like tries to get it and it runs along the floorboard and then Sushi is there at that end and he bats at it and it runs. So they're like going back and forth with the mouse. James gets a broom to like try and get it. He's about to like pull an ottoman out of the way to get it outside. It runs under the chair again, flip it over. And this time I'm like, that fucking mouse is inside the chair. We know it didn't leave. And um, as far as I know, it's still there. Um, so there's a mouse in my house. It horrifies me. Um, even sitting on the ground right now makes me think the mouse could come out at any point. It's not going to. Uh, but, if that, yeah, if, if you've really been missing a, a horrifying tale from my personal life, there you go. Fucking mice. <laughs> this is so great. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole time, I'm just like, the best hunter ended up being the dog. The cats, Rue caught it, but she just held it in her mouth. Like, and I know that she's going to drop it, chase it, pick it up, drop it, chase it. Like, the, uh, the, the my third cat, Prince, first of all, was outside and oblivious the first time. The second time... He's, like, up high in the cat tree, and we start getting, like, you know, excited. He gets down and runs away. He's like, I don't want any part of whatever commotion is happening. (laughs) There's some hope for sushi, but (laughs) I was just like, well, thank God the goddamn dog is here. Yeah, well, I can't say that I have ever freaked out about a mouse, but I do understand, like, just knowing that there is a mouse means there could be more mice, and now you've had little mice feed all over the floor. <laughs> Ugh, I know. Well, about maybe six months ago, it was pre-COVID. Um, yep, I remember this very viscerally. Uh, James and I went to see Parasite in the theater. We came home, turned the light on, and I just went, ah, dead mouse. There was a dead mouse in the middle of the kitchen. And I, Rue was meowing. She was very proud. I assume she did it. Now I'm thinking Felix did it. Um, and then maybe like a month later, I was woken up and I swore I could hear him in my walls. But other than that, nothing. And like, I live in an area where if a mouse got in from outside, it wouldn't be that weird. 
Um, so I didn't think too much of it. Uh, but now I'm like, oh God, we're infested. They're everywhere. <laughs> but I just can't get over how stupid these mice must be. I'm like, why did you come in here? There are three cats and a dog and I'm home literally all the time. There are way better places to be. I mean, that's true, but uh, you might have some delicious things, and I don't blame mice for wanting delicious things. I definitely don't. I can't have crackers in the house because that is the only thing I will eat. It's all, like, vegetables and flour and oatmeal. Fair enough. I mean... Stupid mouse. Mice like oatmeal, probably. Well, they also like peanut butter. Mice and I do have that in common. I was trying to think, like... Now, I can't think of... I mean, the last time I had to deal with a, a mouse was in New Mexico, but... Um, like, here, it's just those little tiny sugar ants, you know? Oh, Yeah. And, like, now it's just like, well, I have to coexist with these ants because they're, they're going to get into the house, especially when it starts getting hot and they want water, so. That's how I felt about cockroaches when I lived in Louisiana. I mean, I never liked them, but I stopped being surprised. I was just like, oh, you again. <laughs> it's like, I know what you are. I know that you are here. Yeah, that was terrible. Ugh. Anyway. Humane trap time. Oh, yeah? You gonna stick that guy outside once you catch him? Or are you gonna, like, drive him somewhere? <laughs> well, there's, like, a, a field-type situation that's, like, a couple blocks from my house, so I think that's where he's gonna go. Yeah, that's fair. Because it's not super hard for me to get him there, uh, but it's also not close enough that he'll just run back in, so... That's my plan. Uh, and, you know, I can't do a snap trap because while my animals are apparently not great hunters or deterrents to mice, they will 100% eat peanut butter or whatever fucking food I put on there. Mm -hmm. Rue likes peanut butter so much. Rue is a cat, just to remind everyone, uh, that if you are eating peanut butter, she will come into the room. And if it's anywhere near her, she will jump up and start trying to lick it out of the jar. <laughs> So, that's gross. And on that note, 